0: Welcome to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I'm Josh Ellich, founder and CEO of upmyinfluence.com. We believe that every person has a unique message which can positively impact the world. Now, on this podcast, your host, veteran radio personality Jennifer Longworth, encourages entrepreneurs to share not only their expertise, but their stories and their hearts. You're going to love this show. You're going to hear real stories from real people on The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. So let's go
1: to customers literally find your customer why find your prospects find the target customers talk to them and say is this problem big enough and painful enough that you would be willing to pay me to solve this problem
2: this is Jennifer Longworth and today's thoughtful entrepreneur is Yelena Krasnoparova. CEO of Famterra, a family tech company on a mission to make life easier for parents. Their first app, CalRoo, helps busy parents coordinate family schedules and logistics with each other. And the team is now working on the second app, We Parent, which targets divorced and separated parents and is launching in November. Famterra's long-term vision is to become a platform through which millions of families discover apps and services that materially improve their lives. Prior to Famterra, Yelena was executive at BCG, eBay, PayPal, Zong, and Upwork, and founder of another company in the family tech space, Simply Circle. Yelena holds a PhD in psychology from Stanford and is a mom of two amazing kids. She loves travel, foreign languages, and teaching Zumba. Welcome to the show, Yelena. Thank you so much.
1: Excited to be here.
2: So your background is actually in psychology, but you have taken that into app development for families to communicate better. What inspired you to start your business? How did you get here?
1: I got here by being a mom. So I have two kids, two sons, 10 and 12 now, uh, obviously a bit younger when I was starting out. And basically, I'm desperately trying to be a good mom, and I feel like I'm failing half of the time.
2: Well, yeah, because you're a mom, and we all feel like that way. Exactly.
1: So you know, <laughs> but I feel like um, I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder as a mom, where I feel like nobody's really building things for me as a mom. When I look at my phone, for example, I see a ton of great apps built for me as a consumer, right? Buying things—they will always make it easier for me to spend my money, right, and buy stuff. There's also a lot of things for me as a business person, as a professional, but. The most important job that I do, which is raising good human beings, I don't feel very supported by technology. And when I reflect on why that is, it's because a lot of the mobile apps in particular are created by young dudes, right? Many of them are not even married and don't have kids. So they just can't relate to the problem, the everyday problem that we have as moms, as dads, as parents.
2: And you saw this and went, wait a minute, something needs to change here, maybe I can do something
1: about this. That's exactly right. And this is my second company. So, and again, for the second time, I am trying to solve a problem that I personally experience day in and day out. My original company tackled the school to parent communication, where frankly, I felt spammed by my kids' school. They were sending me constant emails that I had to read and copy and paste into my calendar. It was driving me up the wall. This new app or newish app um, that I've been working on for the past almost three years now. Um, that one ch- uh, tackles the challenge of intra-family coordination with my own husband, with my own family members, where seemingly mundane tasks like who is picking up which kid when or what do we need from a grocery store becomes they shoot me now, you know, we have to send five texts back and forth and then half of the time it's wrong, right? And the waiting going, who is picking me up?
2: So how does your background in psychology and where you've been get to this Were you uh, just have always been a problem solver is that how you got here or
1: I've always definitely been a problem solver I was born that way Um, and so but I didn't go directly from being a PhD in psychology to being an app developer and wait I'm not an app developer in the sense of I don't code Right? So I don't literally develop the app myself. I have wonderful tech partners, a CTO, and a whole team of developers. So I drive kind of the business side, the product management, the customer experience, all the business aspects of the business, and that, that I have wonderful counterparts on the tech side. Um, but my journey was I got my PhD in psychology 20 years ago, dating myself just a tad, and then from there I went directly into business. And the reason that I went into business as opposed to academia Is because I discovered something about myself in the middle of my PhD experience, which is that I'm way too practical and way too impatient to become an academic. Because in academia, you have to do research on one topic, go really, really deep until, frankly, five people on the planet care about what you're doing. I wanted to have an impact yesterday. And I literally at the end of my PhD uh, experience, which by the way, I got in four years, which is a record, um, but I literally made a list of things I wanted in my job and things I didn't want in my job, kind of like a job description, but for a job as opposed to for me, right? And then I went on and I showed that list to people and I said, tell me a job that fits this description. They kept coming back with management consulting and long story short, I first became a consultant at BCG. So I did strategy consulting for five years, and then I joined the industry, quote-unquote. I was an executive at eBay, PayPal, Zong, which we sold to PayPal for $240 million, then Odesk, which just filed for an IPO recently. And then for the last five years, I've been an entrepreneur. And as I joke sometimes, by now I have two PhDs, one from Stanford in psychology, and then the other one from the entrepreneurial school of hard knocks.
2: Now, how have
1: you seen that being
2: a woman in these industries
1: has that impeded your path
2: at all, or had people been pretty accepting? Like you mentioned a minute ago, how app development is sometimes a dude's world, but here you are coming in as a strong woman. Has that been how's that been?
1: I think it there's no question that it's more challenging than being a guy entrepreneur. Um, you know, there are just extra barriers that I have to overcome. And one of the biggest manifestations of that is uh, fundraising and difficulty fundraising as a female entrepreneur. So even though I live in the Silicon Valley, I've been an executive at very prominent firms. I literally personally know half of the VCs on Sand Hill Road, you know, by name or even personally. Um, it is still incredibly challenging. And it's kind of a combination of being a female. Being an older entrepreneur, I'm now in my late 40s, um, and being in what I call the family tech space. So basically, I define family tech as businesses and companies that create technology solutions for families, right? For different aspects of, of life as a parent, as a family member, etc. And this combination of female, older, and um, and again, focusing on mommy stuff, Right? family tech um, does not bode well for ability to raise funding from traditional sources like venture capital. So in venture capital, what I find is that they often refer to pattern recognition, they call it, right? So they say, tell me a company in your space, in your industry that has been sold for a billion dollars. Or tell me a company that has raised hundreds of millions of dollars and has multi-billion dollar valuation. And I say, frankly, there hasn't been a company like this. I'll be the first. They said, well, when you are that, you know, come back and then we'll invest. And I said, well, when I have that, I'm not coming back. <laughs> right, right. I won't need to come back to you one I'm there. Well, I joke sometimes that I am, you know, every time I have this conversation where they go, we love you, you're great, we love the problem that you're solving, but you need to show more traction, you need to do more this, more that. I put them on what I call my Julia Roberts list. So if you remember Pretty Woman, right? Mm -hmm. After her little makeover, she went back to the woman who refused to serve her. And she goes, you work on commission, right? And the woman goes, yes. You refused to serve me last week. Big mistake. Huge. Right? And so, you know, my my joke is that all these VCs, all these angels that don't believe in, you know, believe me right now that I am going to build a billion dollar company. I'm putting them on my Julia Roberts list. So mm-hmm. three years from now, five years from now, when we do make, you know, make it, right? When we either acquired or go public for billions of dollars, I can do my big mistake, huge um, moment. So, I mean, but that's, that's just putting all joking aside, raising money as a female founder is incredibly hard. And there's plenty of research, and again, I'm a psychologist, so I can I can read research papers and, and interpret them, you know. But there's no there's no doubt in my mind that if I if I was a man and I had the exact same pitch deck, the exact same amount of traction, the exact same everything, I would have raised money by now from traditional sources. But it's just it is what it is, right? And my point is that rather than kind of bemoaning this or belaboring this, I just say, okay, fine. If I can't raise the money in quote-unquote traditional ways through venture capitalists, I'll find another way. And in my case, that other way has been equity crowdfunding, which is a very empowering way of raising money, both for the entrepreneurs or and for the investors. Because basically that allows anybody, not just people with a lot of money, so-called accredited investors, to back the companies that they believe in invest as little as literally a hundred dollars and you become obviously very small, but still an investor in a company. So what platform
2: are you using to crowdfund? How are you getting it out there? How are you finding these people?
1: Yeah. So I'm using a platform called WeFunder. And just to be clear, this is not your typical crowdfunding in the sense that I'm not just selling a product and taking pre-orders the way you do on Kickstarter. And it's certainly not a donation like GoFundMe, right? This is what's called equity crowdfunding. This is part of the JOBS Act that was passed under President Obama that basically allows anybody, not just accredited investors, to invest for equity in startups. So how are you getting the word
2: out about that?
1: So uh, basically I leverage my network and so I've been literally sending personal emails to folks in my network and thankfully I have an extensive network. Um, And I also have... I've set up sort of retargeting ads, so you know you put a Facebook Facebook pixel on your website and on your refunder page, the campaign page, such that people who have visited either that page or, or my website, you know, would see ads, basically reminding them about the um, the investment opportunity. Um, but for the most part, it's been just reaching out to my network, and then. Also, WeFunder itself, of course, you know, I'm I'm there, I'm on the platform, and occasionally I get investments from people that I don't personally know, but they just come across my, my company and they they find it a compelling investment opportunity and they just put money in that way.
2: Now you've talked a lot about being a mom and how that's the most important job in the world. I agree. Totally. How do you balance running a company with being a mom? This is actually something I need to get a little bit better at. Right. One of my
1: favorite sayings is, "You don't prioritize your schedule; you schedule your priorities." So, what that means that in my case, like my family time is literally on my calendar. It's a block of time that is as or more sacred as any family as any business appointments that I may have, right, for my company. And so, they're just some non-negotiables, right? You know, there are some things that I just do. The second part of the answer is. As the other, my other favorite saying goes, the most important career decision you ever make is whom you marry. And when you have a supportive spouse or partner, or if you don't have a supportive spouse or partner, then, you know, rely on, on the rest of your family. Proverbially, takes a village, right? To raise kids. And so basically, you have a support network, hopefully, you know, with your partner or spouse uh and or you know with a broader with a broader family so it's not all on you and in fact the whole point of calroo my first app you know for this company that we've created basically it's an organizer app right it helps parents coordinate things among themselves but frankly a big motivation was to not have everything go on the mom's shoulders because in many families mom is the organizer mom putting things on the calendar mom is the one reading emails from school or from band or from whatever right and then somehow magically just because you are the ones putting things on the calendar you end up doing it yourself too and so the whole point of Calroo is that even when mom is the one putting things on the calendar then she has the magic swipe function where literally she can take an event or a task and swipe it left hand it off to her spouse or to a nanny, or to a family member, and most importantly, get a very clear and unambiguous confirmation that that thing got picked up on the other side. So you're not guessing, right? There's no pending status, right? We're like, I don't know. Maybe it'll be me. Maybe it'll be the other person. You know very clearly. And when they do confirm, you literally get a jumping kangaroo saying, woohoo, such and such agreed to help, right? And then the icon that basically tells you who is doing that task or that event switches from you to them. You still see it on your calendar. You know it will get done. But they're the ones being reminded about it. So it's not all on you. So when I think about um, you know, the question that we often ask ourselves in professional context, where are all the women? Why there are so few women executives? Why there are so few women, again, at senior levels in companies? And it's because they're busily raising families at home. And I really believe that equality at work starts with equality at home where the mom is not doing 100, or even 90, or even 80% of the household family management stuff. It's shared much more equitably with her partner and with other family members. And by the way, our app also encourages the kids, you know, especially if they're you know, preteens or teens, right, to jump in and do their stuff at some point. I mean, obviously they can't drive themselves until they have you know, a, a driver's license, but lots of other things they can do. And so our app also encourages the kids to step up and take responsibilities. so they can manage their own chores, right? They can put things on the calendar so that, you know, it's not on the mom again or the dad, but it's on the kid too, to remember when things are due, to remember when their bad practices are and things like that.
2: So everyone in the family needs to get this app. So everyone has this on their phone.
1: Absolutely. And we have it both on iOS uh, for the iPhone users and on Google Play for the Android users. So So I just
2: downloaded it on Google Play and I saw your little kangaroo, you said. So Calroo, calendar kangaroo. And is it a kangaroo because of the mothering of a kangaroo or why kangaroo?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's basically just a little, you know, mascot, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. It's family oriented. It's sort of cuddly. You know, there's the pouch thing, right? Representing yeah. your motherhood and all of that. So, but we don't take it too seriously. So, you know, it's just, you know, as I sometimes say, you know, sometimes as a mom, you need a jumping kangaroo, right? In your life. True. True. You're a good mom, right? Because, you know, while being a mother is the best job I've ever had, it's also the hardest job I've ever had. And it's not necessarily full of thanks, <laughs> you know, and uh, and uh, avert sort of expressions of gratitude sometimes. Right. So sometimes you need a little bit of levity in your life, right? And so mm-hmm. when we design the app, you know, it's very colorful. The colors are very bright. It's very playful. And there's literally a kangaroo jumping up and down, right? Celebrating the collaborative family that you are, or that we help you become.
2: You also are developing a new app that helps, you know, as a family, but when the family is a broken family. Right. And divorced parents are trying to schedule
1: things. Is it similar to CalRoo? It's basically a, a variant of CalRoo, right? But specifically redesigned for the co parenting situation. So for divorced parents separated. Or even never married parents that are but are uh, co-parenting one or more children together and the way that we kind of evolved our our thinking and our approach to this was actually by through listening to our customers so our customers or prospective customers would check out Calroo and say love the app love everything about it love the design love the user experience can't use it and I say what do you mean you can't use it and they say well it's because I'm not managing my family schedule with my current spouse, I'm dealing with an ex. And things are much more formal and not always pleasant, quite frankly, right? When you're dealing with an ex. And, you know, they're literally very formal, legally binding things like custody schedules. There's mm-hmm. kangaroo about it. <laughs> so it's much more serious, you know, it's more formal. And even the most amicable of divorces, it's at least complex. There are, you know, two or sometimes even more households that the kids are shuttling back and forth between right and then in the less amicable of divorces these parents are not exactly eager to jump on the phone and talk to each other about changes that they need to make so basically you know the first time I heard it, I was like oh just invite them you know to specific events and the second time I had that, heard that I, I kept saying that and then but by the time I heard it you know the 10th 20th time and I said there seems to be something real here And honestly, you know, I'm not a target customer, right? I've been married for 23 years. I hope to be married for, you know, the rest of my life, you know, certainly as a parent and in general. Um, But the more I listened to my customers and the more I was looking at what the alternatives are out there, the more Mm -hmm. outraged I became on their behalf. It's such an underserved and frankly exploited market. It's not that there are no alternatives there, but they're not well designed. They don't put their interests first. They often overcharge people an incredible amounts of incredible amounts of money without delivering a great customer experience. And in at least one case that I know they came up with this very evil, but I guess effective way of going to market, which is that they're getting family court judges to not just recommend their app, but to require mandate the use of their app to families going through divorce in their courts. That's just mean, right? That's not fair. That's not nice. I mean, you know, having your family split up, right? Going through divorce is already incredibly painful. I have ser- several dear friends that are either going through that experience now or have gone through that experience. And oh my God, you know, is this hard? But then you have to continue dealing with your ex, right? For the next five, 10, 15 years, depending on how old your kids are at the time of your divorce. You're in the thick of it until they're 18. Legally required, again, there is a, a, a legally mandated agreement that you have about where the kid is spending the time and what, they, what the handoffs look like and all of that. And so that's the point of our new app. So the new app is called WeParent. It is a standalone separate app. It's not just a version of CalRoo or whatever. It's literally its own app. And we're launching it in early November. And it will go live simultaneously on the App Store and on Android. So come November 1st divorced parents, separated parents, et cetera, will be able to go to the app stores and download the app and try it, you know, try it for themselves.
2: Well, that is amazing. Here you are again, just finding a problem and going out there and finding a way to solve it. So kudos to you for using that skill, that inclination you have instead of just going, wow, you know what? Somebody should really do something about that. So what advice do you have for the thoughtful entrepreneur who's listening today?
1: Based on my personal experience, I think the, the most, the hardest earned, if you will, lesson for me was trying to find an intersection. If you think of it as a Venn diagram, right? Circles that overlap partly. So there is something that you're passionate about, which in my case is empowering families, empowering moms, right? Helping parents be better parents, you know, through technology. So that's your area of passion. That's one circle. The second circle is the ability. Are you able to deliver a solution to the market that solves the problem that you've identified and that again overlaps with your passion? And I feel like those two things I've been able to do successfully for the past five years. The third circle, however, and the overlap with that has been so far elusive to me and I hope that you know, I'll start start solving for that and fixing that, starting with, with parent and beyond. And that is finding what people are willing to pay you for, meaning where you can actually build a business. So what you're looking for is an overlap among three, not just two, but three circles. What you're passionate about, what you can solve with a great product, service, solution, offering, and then what people are willing and able to pay you for. And so basically, therefore, the advice is um, do a lot of market validation, a lot of the testing of the this hypothesis that you have, is that if I solve problem X for customer Y, they will be willing to pay me for it. So don't just proceed on that assumption. Don't take that assumption as a fact. Test it. Talk to customers. Literally, find your customer Y. Find your prospects find the target customers talk to them and say is this problem big enough and painful enough that you would be willing to pay me to solve this problem there's a whole methodology that i'm sure many of the thoughtful entrepreneurs i hope all of them have heard about it's called lean startup this notion of it's an eric reese methodology he wrote a book you know there's a whole kind of uh, industry, if you will, around, you know, people teaching you how to put the lean startup concept into practice. But the whole point of a lean startup is before you, you write a line of code, if you're in technology business, or before you create a product or a piece of content, if you're in the content business or whatever, you basically go and test your riskiest assumptions. You test the hypotheses that you have. And for many of us, present company very much included, myself, the riskiest assumption is, if I build this thing, will people be willing to pay me for it? Paying enough for me to build a sustainable business on it. And it kind of goes back to the whole fundraising thing. So he, where I live in Silicon Valley, the mantra is, go raise VC funding. Everything free, you know, for forever or for a long time, right? And just me VC funding. But if you can't or don't want to raise VC funding, then by far the best way of funding your company is through customer revenues it's the best way of proving the market and also having independence where you're not accountable to anybody other than your customers That's the best kind of a business model if you will or a business um, approach that you can have is have, have built something that people are willing to pay for and pay for enough for you to run a sustainable business and then you just invest proceeds from the business into further growth. And if you ever do take VC funding or any other funding from the outside, it is very optional. And it's something that you are choosing to do, not something that you have to do, where you're on this treadmill, right? Where every you know, 12 to 18 to 24 months, you have to you know, go and ask for money. The business yeah. just runs itself in that sense. I mean, from a money perspective. So that's probably my biggest advice to the entrepreneurs is before you jump in or even after you jump in at every point, at every junction in your entrepreneurial journey, just really be honest with yourself when you are seeking the answers, will people really be willing to pay for it? And don't just take vague, oh, sure. Yes. You know, like ask them, how much? How about, I'm happy to take your money now and I will build a solution for you. How quickly do they open their wallets? With parents, I'm literally not kidding. People were like, here, I'll give you the money now, right? Just tell me when can I get this app? And that's when I realized like, aha, you know, there's a real there there. And so finally, I stumbled upon a market or a subset of the market where my solution isn't just a nice to have, but it's a must have. Right. That's what you're looking for. There's the saying about that you want your, your product, your app, your whatever it is that you're offering, your service to be a painkiller, not a vitamin. And a lot of it is about finding where it hurts. And you kind of are going around, it sounds kind of mean, but you're going around and you're poking people. You're like, does it hurt here? How about here? How about here? How about here? Ah, this hurts. If I solve your pain here, would you be willing to pay me? How much? In what way? Well, that's my advice.
2: So how can I and other people who are listening connect with you online? What's the best way to find you?
1: Well, the best way to find me is by LinkedIn and by email right these are my two favorite even in this day and age my two favorite methods so you can contact me by email at yelena at femtera.com. that's spelled f-a-m-t-e-r-r-a.com and you can find our apps Calro is already out there so just search for it on the app store and We Parent is launching November 1st so it will be on the app stores and on Google Play then and then also you can uh, ping me on LinkedIn So my name is Elena Krasnipirova, and I'd be delighted to hear from you. And I will happily accept your invitations to connect, even though I don't know you personally, because I feel we entrepreneurs have to help each other. And I'm more than happy to help anybody who is running a business, because I just know how hard it is, how hard it is to do. Fantastic. Well, thank
2: you so much for joining us. And I'm going to connect with you on LinkedIn right now.
1: Great. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. If you are a thoughtful entrepreneur who would like to be a media celebrity and be on our show, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest and attend my next live webinar where i'll reveal how to get more respect from influencers and media so that you can get more sales and traffic now please do us a favor if you like the guest that was just interviewed would you share this episode on social media and in your podcast player right now please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review we promise to read it all and take action We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill our mission to help create more media celebrities. Make sure to hit subscribe, binge listen to our previous episodes, and we'll send you the next episode automatically. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Revolution.